If there's shoes by the door, F that. We're not taking our shoes off. Because I got sweaty ass feet and I'm not taking my shoes off. I hate walking into some girl's apartment and they want you to take your shoes off. No, you don't know what's going on down there. I got a separate situation. You'd I need to control that. You buy this home, sit your carpet. But yeah, we roll in there. So we, we were like six dudes deep in the car. With a plan that we were gonna go in, we were just gonna take a Welcome walk. to the water hole. Hit it. Today we have on the godfather of the water hole. Zach Taylor, he started the Waterhole blog back, when was it, Zach? Oh, it's been... 2016? 2015? Yeah, it's been at least... I was still living in Utah, right? I was still living yeah. in... Was, oh, I, yeah. was I still in Provo? I think you were in Salt Lake or at was that I point. Oh, yeah, yeah, you were in Salt Lake. So it's been at least four, probably closer to like six years, probably. Wow. Weren't you dating a journalist? At the time? Yeah, I was dating a girl who worked for Deseret News. Journalist slash... Astrologer. Astrologer. Yeah. Not yet. Or was she? Well, she had. She was always into astrology. That Should we say her name for the right no. person last <laughs> <laughs> my, my... We actually don't even have to talk about it. girlfriends, but... But here, yeah. I would like to know, just as a point of history sure. and context for this sure. podcast, what was the inspiration for starting the blog version of the water hole. What were you trying to accomplish there? Well, I do feel like, I know you guys have touched on this on the pod, but we've always had good conversations. I feel like our group of friends as a whole, despite being very homogenous and very much pretty similar upbringings, pretty much like a very similar experience. I don't know, dude. I got it out the mud. I was adopted. <laughs> you don't know where I came from. You don't know me. I suppose that is true. <laughs> I suppose as a white male out of Boise, Idaho can be unique. You're about as unique as they come. But, but I do feel like despite all of that, we always had good conversations. We're fairly open-minded, fairly interested in just talking and seeing where a conversation could go. And I felt like it would be fun to try to document that somehow. And I don't know that the world would have ever been interested, but I felt like the world would maybe have been interested in some of the ideas and just the discourse that we could have. Let's talk about some of the content that was on there. Sure. Because I don't even remember it all. Yeah. I was writing a K-pop blog. Yeah. What was everyone else doing? There was a lot of Bachelor. We did a lot of Bachelor. We were big into The Bachelor at the time, so okay. we had a whole bunch of Bachelor content. We had that Fantasy League. Remember that Fantasy League we ran with The Bachelor? Mm-hmm. That's right. So we had a lot of updates on that. We did some movies. Corbin did movies. You did music. Aaron did some travel. I remember Aaron did some travel. Yeah. You know, so it was really just kind of eclectic. And maybe that was part of the problem why it kind of was hard to sustain, but um, it got a little bit just too wide. But yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. So with the the blog and even this podcast, like you said, like maybe the world might be interested, but maybe not. And I think that like this kind of stuff is interesting for our friends. Like it's fun <laughs> to just like have a conversation with your friends. And multiple times we've gotten uh, some feedback or some compliments of like, oh, I just want to like chime in sometimes. Yeah, so like, yeah, somebody yeah. will be listening to the podcast and they just want to like chime in yeah. or... This happened to Carter like a week ago. He was talking to some of our friends and they were like, yeah, we were having that conversation. Remember we talked about this? 
And Carter was like, no, guys, that happened on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was like a weird, like, out-of-body out of experience. Well, I definitely feel like listening to the podcast, even though I'm not able to comment with you guys and discuss it, I do feel like I've been, I am there, though, in a way, right? Where it's like, these are conversations that I've had with Carter and Aaron and all these guys on multiple occasions mm. before. And, and so it's definitely been fun listening. But do you know what's great about the podcast? Huh? Is that all those people who want to chime in, they're not here. They can't chime in. I get free reign. I get untested discourse and monologue capacity. And that's really what I'm here for. That's why we brought Zach in, actually, yeah, is to yeah, just yeah. kind of rein you in. Checks and balances. That's always been my job. I've always been the, the check to your mate, you know? I mean, Debatable. I just love your energy, Carter. I just <laughs> love your energy. Uh, Inside joke. Were Inside you there joke. for that? No, I don't think we, I was. We, we stroll up to the village. I don't know what business we had being in anyone's village room. None. None business. Stack. <laughs> and we're up in there. And there's these girls. And we're out of our depth. And we're being rambunctious. like The whole UVU women's soccer team yeah. in that apartment with this dude who was a nice guy. Nice guy. I won't say his name. Do you remember whose apartment it was? No. UVU superstar. Oh, okay. Do you remember? I know some names. I think, but it doesn't, his name's not important, but super nice guy. Really genuinely nice guy. But we just had this, I don't know, we kind of had this bone to pick. And I look back and I'm like, I love that we had, like, I love, this is one of my favorite things about our friendship, or our group of friends, is that we kind of kick the status quo to the side. And it's like, if you were, if you were popular, or if you have some status because you play a sport, or because your family is some special family, or you come from money, or whatever, we're like, kind of screw you, right? And we kind of tried to subvert that stereotypical forms of, I am popular. I will say this. People didn't respect our attempts no, no. to do that at all. <laughs> well, well, some people true. didn't. Yes. Okay, I will say other maybe somewhat marginalized or people who didn't feel like they fit in in that yes. environment, they kind of gravitated to what we were doing. Which is 90% of people. It right? is a lot of people. But it's not necessarily like when you're trying to just date. Yeah, the certain type of people that we were maybe trying to date and get to our... We were like on the one hand trying to undermine these people and get them to our party. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? Like there was some hypocrisy there, but... So they're all in this apartment though. Yeah. And it's all these girls that we were friends with and they were fun girls and we liked them, but we were friends with them via our roommates who were also collegiate athletes. High class. High High class. High status, you know, and, and super fun guys. So it's not like... These guys or whatever, you know, we can't be friends with them or we somehow think that we're above them or whatever. But there certainly is a status or a kind of a societal rank that they automatically got included in that we did not. So we get somehow... I was a DJ and a rapper. (laughs) I think I... Anyway, continue. So we somehow get invited to this apartment. And I remember before we go in, Carter kind of rallying the troops. And we're mobbing, as always, like six, seven, eight dudes deep. We bopping or what? <laughs> we I actually remember. That. Are we bopping or what? And we had that whole plan <laughs> by Carter. Carter was the lead on this plan. 
and we were going to go in. And you know what the first step was? If there's shoes by the door, <laughs> F that. We're not taking our shoes off. Because I got sweaty-ass feet, and I'm not taking my shoes off. I hate walking into some girl's apartment, and they want you to take your shoes off. No, you don't know what's going on down there. I got a separate situation. You I need to control that. You buy this home. It's in your carpet. But yeah, we roll in there. So we, we were like six dudes deep in the car. With a plan that we were going to go in. We were just going to take over the environment. We were going to control the situation. And then someone was going to say, what was the phrase? What was oh, the phrase? Oh, I don't remember. I remember it. Bananas? No, no, monkeys, no, no, no. What are the monkeys doing? No. What are your... What Rough you? Riders? Roll out! <laughs> Rough Riders roll, roll out. out. So we're in there, and we're just acting acting the fool. And I go up to Jessica Duff, and I shouldn't have said her name. Oh, I'm no. not <laughs> Sorry about that. And we're just go, I love your energy. Right in front of this dude. And we're just acting a fool. And we're flirting, and we're spitting game. And I everybody is just saying, these guys are so lame. I think we at one point we did them... We get, like, Avery to grab the guitar. We perform a rendition of Forget We Ever Met. I'm pretty sure we did all yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. we literally... And I, don't know if take, I don't know if takeover is the right word. We, like, corrupted. We, like, infested that apartment. It was, like... It was a virus. It was, it was a virus. It was, an, it was not a... We're going to overcome you guys with our charm and with our personalities is we're going to be overbearing and we're going to infect this environment. <laughs> we're going to troll club you. Club 440 DNA. And we're in there and we're just making the ruckus and you go, Rough Riders? And everybody goes, in unison, roll out. roll out. And we all just get up and leave. Don't say a word. Don't you just say a word. You already got your shoes on, so you just walk right out the door. Here was the best part. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, if my memory doesn't fail me, we get immediate text messages saying, where did you guys go? Which is like the ultimate win. It's like they're texting us. They're wondering what the hell just happened. We mind effed them. We mind effed them with a synchronous rallying cry. Yeah, that was... It, that, that probably makes the highlight real. That was a great time. And as many times as we failed in social settings, there were times where we dominated. And that was one of the times where we died. But it was like a great example of a time where we still refused to conform to the traditional social environment, dating environment in Provo. Yes. We just, we figured out a way to just kind of subvert all those mechanisms and just come in and dominate. It wasn't respected, like I said, but it, it was still fun to it do. It wasn't respected by certain people, but it was funny. Those first times we started throwing parties and stuff, who'd you have come to the party? Just kind of scragglers, scrappy people. Who were the at the end though? Who was there? Everybody was yeah, there. Everybody wanted to be there. Yeah, and we all were, of those people that all those people, the high class, were the high there. class that were like, oh, this party, whatever. But now they were there, and we always welcomed them. Right? Nobody was ever not welcome at our party. Anybody could come, and that was the whole point. It doesn't matter if you're the starting quarterback at BYU, or if you're, you know, some just blumpkin hanging around, like whatever. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You know, you you are, then you're welcome to the Did we so. ever have um, football players? I I don't remember for sure. I well, I mean, we had a football player living in our house. Ah. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, thanks for having me on the podcast. Good times, I don't yeah. know if we want to recap our whole college 
Well, I mean, <laughs> the memories are palpable and they're they're powerful, honestly, because our a lot of our relationships were formed around some of those memories. Yeah. Not just us three, but like with some of our other friends. Definitely. So I want to revisit them. Definitely. And like, the more I think back to that time, I I was like, I think I was more affected by some of the social pressures than I realized at the time. I don't know why I had such a chip on my shoulder. Like, looking back, I probably could have just chilled out a few notches. I was yeah. just too insecure, too vulnerable, you know? You're, like, trying to make heads and tails of what's going on. Well, I think this is one of the biggest things about getting older, right? So as the older you get, your your perspective becomes more nuanced, right? So you can be both happy and kind of sad and frustrated and content kind of all at once, right? Where I think as a baby is probably the easiest, right? A baby is either happy or they're sad or they're scared or they're hungry, right? One emotion kind of dominates. But the older you get, the more perspective you get and you can be kind of happy but at the same time be frustrated, right? And I think I've seen this, I feel like I'm starting to see this now. It's like I've progressed and I'm engaged and I'm getting married where you kind of go, hey, I might be frustrated with this situation right now but I still love this person so much that that ultimately wins everything right and sometimes when you're 21 or whatever I still feel like you get these kind of overriding thoughts or emotions or perspectives that just become very dominant and I think for us a part of that at college one of the dominant things was be different like don't fit into this societal norm because there's other ways that are, are just as good or can be just as valued that we felt strongly about and i think that's right like i don't think that's a wrong perspective but how we went about it like you said is maybe a little over the top right maybe could have been toned down i don't regret it at all though no, no regrets zero regrets yeah. zero regrets because like where we all are now yeah it it shaped us, informed us, and we're able to look back and understand we may have been somewhat foolish, but... You know, life's working Everyone out. was. Well, I think what's changed is I used to view some of those other people that were succeeding in dating or social life as these elites that I couldn't approach, so I had to find weird ways of making myself known. Mm-hmm. And now I look back and I realize that's not true. They weren't any different than us, really. In fact, in some ways, they may have been struggling more than us to uh, build and maintain long-lasting friendships or make bonds deeper than surface level. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people that succeed there are just good at this surface game. Five-minute conversations at a big village party. That's not. There's not a lot of depth there. We were thriving with depth. Like, Remember when Matt moved in and he was... He was telling us, I didn't think I'd ever really have a crew like this. He was so taken back by what the house was at that point. Yeah, Yeah, he didn't get it because he was hanging out with all the rugby bros and they're just going on dates. They're serial daters. And it's a rotating door of friends. And none of them matter that much. It's just interchangeable pieces to gain you social favor. And we were were succeeding in a way that I think a lot of those people would have loved to succeed. It's funny because we were so driven by like, you know, getting a date with so-and-so or like going to this party or throwing this party. And in the process, we are still able to create those like long-lasting friendships and relationships that are still to this day important to us. 
Whereas like these other people that maybe you're like you're saying have five minute conversations, it's very surface level and they were successful, we could say at dating and, and all of that. They probably don't have those like long lasting friendships like, like we have. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I consider you guys like family. Yeah. When, when I lived here in Utah and I, you know, I, I got married and stuff, it was understood by my wife that like you guys are my brothers and like, like we go and hang out with her family on the weekends or whatever, and it was also important to go and hang out with my family, which is all mm. the crew, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's pretty cool. So I think that's as unique. I think to, it's to rare, our, yeah. yeah. I remember this one roommate right after I got my mission, so kind of before we were all able to assemble in M440, had this one roommate who was a serial dater. The dude went on two or three dates every single weekend. He tried to kiss every date. If he, if he liked the girl, he tried to kiss her. And if she wouldn't kiss him back or she wasn't down, then he wouldn't ask her out again. He kind of took this approach of like, hey, either <laughs> That's like... That's a great 2020 stance. That's a great post-Me Too stance. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I, I don't think he was... Time's up? Time's not up. There's 24 seconds on the <laughs> clock, baby. I'm going to drain this buggy. <laughs> I, I mean, he's a nice guy. As far as I know, he treated women very well. But his kind of approach was like, why am I going to waste my time with a girl who doesn't want to be with me? And he somehow judged whether they wanted to be with him based on whether they were willing to kiss him or not, which is maybe not a great way to judge that, but that's not the point. That's like story. missionaries coming in in the first lesson and every time... Invite him to baptism. Invite him to baptism. Come on. That kid learned from his mission. He came back gotta and be he bold. was like, I'm going to ask these girls to marry me on the first date every time. <laughs> and eventually someone's going to say yes. But you know what? By the end of the semester, he had a girlfriend. They ended up getting married to that you know, quickly thereafter. But he had no friends. This dude had no friends. Now, I don't know that he was less happy than, than we were. Hard I don't know. Hard I have age. no idea. I don't think he was unhappy. As far as I could tell, he was happy. He was a very good student. He went to, he's a graduate from medical school. Like, he did well. He has, I liked his wife a lot. She's very cool. Like, she seemed like she was like a fun, great person. But just such a different result, right? So what he takes from his years at college versus what I took from my years at college are, are very different. And I don't know the one's better than the other, but they're. I'm glad I got the one I got. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because this is actually an interesting topic. So, like, me and my wife, we don't discuss exes. Yeah. We don't discuss my previous dating history. She doesn't really discuss hers. We kind of know it's there. We've heard it before, especially when we were first dating. It was more comfortable, actually, yeah. to discuss that stuff, because you're not as invested. You're just feeling that person out. So it's interesting to hear who sure. they've dated, how long of relationships they've been into. But... All those memories kind of have to get laid down and offered up on this mantle of marriage where you're like, they're still there, but I'm not really going to access them. And if you invested all your time and effort and energy into just going on dates and kissing girls, then you get married and you lay all those up. Like, what did you get? Like, we invested time and energy into these memories, like the one you were just describing, that we could relive every day if we wanted. We could tell our wives. We could sit around a fire and Mm -hmm. tell everyone. Mm -hmm. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's offended. So you're getting you're getting married. Sure. Where do you guys stand on that? You guys discuss previous relationships. Is that kind of a no fly zone? Uh, she wants to. I really. Have, I have put more of a kibosh on it. Um, I think the reason is because I think she's probably more mature than I am with this stuff, and I think I'm a little bit more sensitive, and so I take it kind of. I don't want to say take it personally, but it does bother me a little bit 
when I hear her or, you know, anybody, not her, but, you know, ex or whatever too, where they talk about, you know, someone that they previously dated who was so amazing or they loved so much or as an example, is, I don't know if I should share this, but I'll do it for the sake of the pod. So <laughs> Protect the pod. <laughs> protect the pod. So we're, we're on a, we're driving and a song comes on, 90s R&B, which I love. And she goes, oh, this song is super great to make out with, or make out to. And I was like, huh? She's like, oh, yeah, I made out hard to this song, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with making out to the song. But I take it as, now, I hear this song, I'm thinking about you making out hard with some other dude. I don't want to think about that. You ruined the song. I don't want to think about that. And it's not, I don't think, I'm not saying that, like, I don't want to seem like I think that she was slutty or anything like that. Or like, no, like, it's nothing like that. It's just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about her, you know, and maybe I'm just immature. Um, Everyone has a know. different tolerance when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Mackenzie has this cousin that her and her husband go on at length about previous relationships. They'll even be like, oh, yeah, she was so hot. Oh, man. I couldn't believe I got her to date me. Mm-hmm. And she'll do the same thing. And they're fine with it. They yeah. have no emotional sensitivity around the topic. So it's like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. If both of you are on the same level there. Yeah. But I think at some point, yeah, you do have to just kind of be sensitive and respect your partner's wishes with that. I know I told a very offensive story one time around a campfire. Because you guys know I was a storyteller. Sure. And most of my stories involved really awkward embarrassing pathetic encounters i'd had (laughs) while dating absolutely but then i'm dating Mackenzie and telling these stories again and i kind of knew it was going to be bad Mm -hmm. but somebody was like you gotta tell it sure come on don't tell it i didn't want to just be a simp (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) trying to stay young um anyway so i tell the story and i really hurt you know Mackenzie's feelings and it wasn't worth it. I, I was thinking in my head while I was telling it, you could tell it was yeah. going bad. Yeah. My heart wasn't even in it at that point. It's stupid. Why am I doing this? And the thing that I always, you know, kind of remember is, is people, you know, sometimes you don't forget stuff. And I always worry about, I don't want to say something, whether this is to my partner or whether this is to a friend or a family member or whoever, I don't want to say something that they're going to carry with them. And, and maybe that's a really restricting way to think, but, you know, I don't want to say something to Aaron that you're going to take with you and go like, man, like Zach, I didn't know Zach kind of thought that way about me or about whatever, you know, something that's important to him. And, and so I, I think I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I would hate for my spouse or my girlfriend, whoever, to, to ever think that she wasn't my top choice because she is, you know, or, or think that like somehow there was another girl that got away and that's, you know, that was kind of the one I really wanted, but you know, I, I don't know. Maybe that's very conservative. Maybe that's very sensitive thinking. But, you know, that really is kind of the truth to why I'm a little bit more careful about that stuff. I think Kaylee and I, we've both each, we've both heard each other's stories mm-hmm. of dating and stuff. And I think it's, we've realized that those were insignificant. Like maybe in the time when I was dating such and such girl, I was like, oh, she's the one, and I'm going to be with her. And then, you know, time goes on, and I meet my wife, and I'm like, wow, that 
relationship that I thought was so important mm-hmm. is now so insignificant. So I think when I realized that, like, same with Kaylee, like, Kaylee was, like, almost married. Mm-hmm. She, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. She was engaged. Yeah. Well, kind of engaged. Kind of. It was like a, yeah, we're going to get married. and they He kind of bullied her into it. <laughs> uh, I don't think he bullied her into it, but it was just like, this is happening, and, like, we don't have a ring yet, but we're getting married. Like, yeah. it's one of those situations. And to think that she almost married somebody is kind of weird, but at the same time, it's obvious that that relationship was so premature and not... Now it's completely insignificant to her. So even if she brings up a story, I'm just like, that's not important. Uh, and I don't get yeah. hurt about it because I know how she feels now. But you're one of the most emotionally strong people I think I know. That's funny. Honestly, I feel like. That's funny. Especially when it comes to <laughs> inter- interpersonal <laughs> relationships. I think... I think both of you, but I think especially Aaron, I think that you are, when it comes to person-to-person relationships, how you view people, you don't get offended particularly easily. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I've ever seen you get offended to the point where you could address it, deal with it, get past it, you know? Not to say that maybe there hasn't been times where you've gotten frustrated with people or people have hurt your feelings or whatever, but you... But maybe I don't outwardly show it. You don't that. outwardly show it, or at least, I feel like you... Process and process it in such a way that it can be addressed and moved on from, you know. And so when you say those things about you and your wife, I'm like, yeah, of course, like of course you're able to like handle those things perfectly. Honestly, you and Kaylee are like relationship goals for me. Hmm. Always have been. Well, thank you. So it's all about though, like you said, I think knowing yourself, I think and then being able to communicate, and then having the respect to kind of accept each other because. If you know yourself and you know, hey, this this affects me, mm-hmm. and you're able to communicate that successfully, your partner loves and respects you, mm-hmm. then they make concessions. You know that's part of it. There's definitely concessions I've made, and there's even been times that I'm like, ah, I get hung up on principle. Should I have to throw away these memories? I'm just using that as an example mm-hmm. and not share those stories anymore. That was a huge part of my mm-hmm. character. For me, it actually was. But so was being horny, which eventually you're like, I got to lay that to bed. That does not hold up too well in the 2020 Me Too Time's Up era anyway. So that was probably for the best. But then looking back, like to Ronnie's point, some of those concessions that I've made, they're so insignificant, really. It's such a non-issue. I, uh, I wonder why it was even hard for me to just drop some things and say oh i love you of course i'll do that i'll make that sacrifice no problem you know and is it really that much of a sacrifice and you know i don't know i think we get hung up on what is your identity right if your identity is telling these stories or my history of dating or whatever what that's that's a pretty weak identity exactly and that's what i realized that's an identity that's not ready for a serious relationship yeah and and it's it's maybe an identity that served a period of time but Mm -hmm. like adapt and evolve that's what i've realized it's very useful to learn how to adapt and change and inhabit a new moment when it's time and that's been i feel like just been so huge now right we got the coronavirus which has affected everybody's lives whether you've been directly affected by the virus with your health or whether it's your job or whether it's the economy or whether it's the new social distancing and it's affected everybody and there's been so much now kind of you have to be i think introspective a little bit right i think people are really kind of having to get back to what is important to me 
what do I really care about? Like, what is it that drives me? What is it that motivates me to do what I do? What is it that motivates me to behave how I behave? Um, you know, why do I do the things that I do? And I think it's been, while it's been a devastating few months at the same time, this is at least an opportunity, I think for a lot of personal growth. Yeah, absolutely. And like also recentering as a couple, like and figuring out what's important to you as a couple. Sure. I, I think Kaylee and I kind of were able to do that. Uh, as like, I got laid off and we were just like spending way more time together. I mean, we've always spent a lot of time together, but like we're stuck at home together and kind of realizing what was important to us and that the afflictions or conflicts that we were having in our lives weren't that bad mm. in retrospect, like uh, kind of in- insignificant to what was important to mm-hmm, us, mm-hmm. which was like each other, our family, our dog, like those were important things. So like losing a job in the short term, like may seem detrimental, but in like a long-term perspective, it's not, mm-hmm. it's insignificant. This really. is pretty deep. This is typical. I think this is like some deep conversation. here. I mean, it's deep, but it's also fun, important. People are learning about us. <laughs> this ain't new. Kitty pool, Zach, come on, get to the deep end. No, I, I completely agree with what Aaron said. I, Aaron and Kaylee, now that you say that, are a great example of a couple that just look and feel like a team. Absolutely. Like, seems like you guys are just always there to support and help each other. And it's cool. I, I feel like I 100% have that too with Mackenzie. And I think you'll realize that's one of the coolest things about being married. You could view it as stressful and more pressure and anxiety to have to share another person's problems. But you could also choose to view it as, I now have somebody that's as as invested in what I'm going through as I am. The only person that will ever be. Your kids will never be that invested. Your parents, as much as they try, will never be that same level of invested. Mm -hmm. You're sharing money. You're sharing decisions. You're literally a team. It's so, it's cool. I remember, I've forgotten, but sometimes I capture just slivers of memories of what it was like to feel alone. And I remember I felt that way a lot. Even living at 440 with nine other guys, yeah. it's, there's camaraderie, but we're all navigating our own problems sure. individually. Sure. And we're isolated. And there were times I was so lonely. You might not have even realized it, how like lonely you were. But then in retrospect now, going like looking back uh, after you've had a relationship with your wife and you're saying now you've shared those problems and shared those successes with your wife... Looking back, we were all probably pretty lonely. So lonely. <laughs> and I, I'm never lonely now. Ever. Mm. Ever. There hasn't been a time since I've been married. That's pretty cool. I think it's one of the greatest benefits of being in a relationship. Mm. Of, of any kind. It doesn't have to be marriage. I'm using marriage as an example. I got married. But being in a relationship like that, an intimate relationship, because the support and the companionship... I can totally see why like, people just get married when they're old, just to like yeah. have a friend. And it sounds like you know, I, it sounds like there is something special about that marriage relationship, though, right? Where like you're saying, like there's this investment that is equal, and um, and the Lord says you, know. <laughs> you can have sex. That's important to us, us Mormon folk. We need that green light. You know, we're just zipper sparking until we get that green light. <laughs> Sorry, Ronnie, you got sidetracked here. <laughs> Steer us back to shore. Okay, well, 
there's a couple things that I had on the list today in case we, we wanted to dig into them. And Zach actually brought up one of them, which is emotions and feelings and like how you to navigate those things. And I found something that I thought was really interesting. First, it started with uh, an article about six different types of basic emotions. Mm-hmm. Those emotions being happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. And then the guy who invented these, Paul Ekman, back in the 70s, he went on to include other basic emotions such as pride, shame, embarrassment, and excitement. So go forward 20 or so years, and this guy, Robert Pluchik, um from the U.S., he created Pluchik's Wheel of Emotion, which I want to show you guys. Because um, that kind of brought this up where like emotions are complex now, and like you're feeling maybe... With your spouse, you know, excitement and fear at the same time. Um, so his wheel of emotions, and people can look this up. It's just Plutchik's wheel of emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a color wheel, whereas the things on opposite sides of the wheel are contrasting. So, for example, we have uh, loathing and admiration are opposite sides. They're contrast. Sure. Uh, ecstasy and grief, contrast. Amazement. And vigilance, contrast, and rage and terror. And then there's a, the primary emotions here are anger, anticipation, joy, trust, fear, surprise, sadness, and disgust. Did I already say disgust? Mm-hmm. Anyway, those can combine and fill these um, other emotions, fill the space. So like mm-hmm. remorse, disapproval, awe, love. So love, for example, is... A combination of joy and trust. So you feel joy in your life and you trust this person, you start to feel love for that yeah, person. Yeah. Anyway, I thought this was really interesting as you were talking about that, how complex our emotions and our feelings are, especially as we navigate relationships. Yeah, I I feel like I've seen a lot of this in my job, you know, where emotions are complex and there's so many things going through someone's head that makes them feel the way they feel and I think one of the biggest disservices that we sometimes do to people is say how do you feel right because that's such a hard question to answer right you say well I'm happy or I'm sad or I'm worried and maybe that maybe that is accurate but I think usually it's more kind of you know how are you like how is your are you at peace like are you good are you confident you know i think it's more specific than just like how do you feel because i think it's very complex and i think it's hard to sometimes kind of understand but it does make sense right you think about love or whatever you know contempt you know it is complex right you have multiple kind of more like base emotions maybe that start to spawn you know spawn more complex more complex emotions that have context right all these things have context and you know, I don't know. I don't have much to say about it. What would you say that some of the most driving emotions are for you guys? Well, I, I've been talking a lot. You go ahead, Carter. You take this one. Uh, curiosity, if that's an emotion. I'm not sure if it is, but maybe wonder or excitement. Excitement was on there. I think I have a very enthusiastic energy, if I was to describe it. I can get really captured by something some might say obsessive you're passionate yeah and sometimes that's short-lived but it's typically driven by 
curiosity and excitement about the world around me or new opportunities. And that really drives me. That might fall into the category of optimism here, where you have interest or anticipation of something and also like joy. Uh, those two kind of combine into. Do you know what one I'm not motivated by? I'm not sure any of these you can say are just binary good and bad emotions. They may all serve a purpose, so I don't want to ridicule this one too much. But disgust. I'm glad you brought up disgust. It's to me, it is the fuel of the outrage culture that we see a lot of times. It's just so easy to just other somebody and just be disgusted. Let me ask you about this, Carter. Artificial banana flavoring. Oh, I'm disgusted. <laughs> Are you disgusted? By... <laughs> I thought it was interesting because I dug into disgust a little bit. That was one of the ones that I thought was interesting because I don't know if I'm also driven by disgust, but after I read this, I think that we all are driven by disgust, just maybe not in the way you're thinking. Um, so he kind of says that disgust is a way of our body making sure that we're safe. So for example, um, he says researchers believe that this emotion evolved as a reaction to foods that might be harmful or fatal. When people taste or smell something that has gone bad, for example, disgust is a typical reaction. Poor hygiene, infection, blood, rot, and death can also trigger a disgust response. This may be the body's way of avoiding things that may carry transmittable diseases. So, so then you carry that to emotions, and you're just saying we could be disgusted by behavior that we want to like stay away from. But I guess what I'm that's referring like a moral to, disgust. Yeah, and I think so. That's a great breakdown because, like I said, I don't think these things are binary. I think there's nuance here, and there's a positive application of all those emotions. There's a negative application of all those emotions. There's a negative application of even excitement. Yeah, you can be excited about the wrong things. You so this know? is pretty interesting, right? So the example that you gave would say that disgust is the same for rats, is the same for monkeys, and primates, right? That this type of base emotion is evolutionarily programmed in to keep us safe, right? And that totally, like, that science checks out, and that science is spot on, right? There's parts what of our brain. What do you know brain, about science, dude? Know a little bit about science. Okay, okay. Happen to be a neuroscience major, graduate. So there's certain parts of our brain that are basically identical to a rat brain, right? And these things keep us safe, and they're very, kind of call them, like, very instinctual or... Survival instincts. Survival instincts, innate. very innate emotion, right? Fear keeping you safe, right? Not getting eaten by some predator. Disgust, keeping you away from something that tastes bad because it's poisonous, right? But now once you take that base, like innate primal feelings and emotions and now try to apply them to some like, I'm disgusted by this person, right? That's a totally, that's a huge step. That's like an evolve, an evolution of the primary feeling or emotion which is really quite incredible right that you take that primary emotion and then you add on this complexity to it that now goes from a purely i need to stay alive so that i can pass on my dna right that i have to stay alive i can't eat these poisonous berries so that i can have kids my dna can be passed on and that rats will be around in the future to now i need to navigate this social world and i need to figure out this corollary between disgusting berry to disgusting person because this person is somehow going to make my life more difficult or more dangerous or whatever it is, 
right? And then it becomes very complex when you take it to the next level of trying to bring in morality to that. Yeah. And I don't know how to do You know, I think that's where we get really, I think we're not great at that. I think as humans, we get disgusted by people or by situations where it's like, this is, we should not be disgusted by this. We should maybe talk about this. Maybe there should be a dialogue, but we don't need to be disgusted. Or disgust, it sounds like from the actual reaction to food, disgust would kind of mean to completely block off whatever impulse is causing that disgust, get as far away from it as possible. Mm -hmm. Like you said, not to entertain any sort of dialogue or conversation. Mm -hmm. Seeing a snake in the road, you just get away. Get away. Like, it's funny to think about disgust in the current political climate because the most obvious example is Trump. And being disgusted by Trump, is that a positive survival mechanism to just immediately resist anything Trump not like block it out of your mind, get as far away from it as mm-hmm. possible. You're not talking about it. You're not discussing anything. Or worse, being disgusted by anyone who supports him because that, that's a large swath of the right. nation. Right. So what I learned in my 15 minutes of that's deep really study, all you need to get to this. That's stuff, all we right? need for the water hole. Yeah. But what I learned is that these emotions and feelings are much more like a gradient. Like so, you might. One person's disgust might be completely different than the other person's disgust. And Are you saying it's Plut- a spectrum? It's a spectrum. Oh, okay. Uh, Pluchik kind of lightly digs into that. And so, like, with disgust, he also has, like, a more intense, which is loathing, and a less intense, which is boredom. So it kind of is a, a spectrum mm-hmm. of disgust, right? And then disgust can be mixed with sadness or with anger to form contempt or remorse. So these complex emotions are really like uh something we've evolved into like zach said like a rat can feel disgust but he might not be able to feel remorse or contempt or even uh like boredom or he might not loathe the poison he just is disgusted by the poison boredom boredom was an interesting one because it's like i can't be bothered by that it's a form of disgust i get it yeah it really is it's like a a passive form of disgust you're like ah just don't even want to deal with that. It's like complete dismissal. It's Not almost more devastating than loathing because <laughs> loathing, you're giving your energy to that person. Boredom, you're just dismissing that they even exist. You're not even willing to give them energy. That's interesting. And to go back to my previous example, there is an equal amount of disgust any way you look politically. So I don't want to just use the Trump example and have people be like, you're a Trump supporter or whatever. I, my dad had a very unhealthy disgust for Obama. Like, he couldn't even hear Obama's name. And, like, <laughs> Obama again? And, and exist in the room anymore. It would just fire him up. He was just so disgusted. Maybe triggered? Yeah, I think he was just watching a lot of Fox News or, you know, who knows what impulses kind of colored that feeling. But So it goes all sorts of ways. I just, I think it's always good to question... How useful are the feelings you're feeling toward accomplishing some outcome, some positive outcome? And if they're not helping you get anywhere productive or good, you should, you should question those. Yeah, emotions. and I think all of the emotions can play a role in uh, productive progression, right? So like getting to a, or furthering ourselves, bettering ourselves, we can feel disgust for something and still have it be a positive experience, right? So having yes. discussed for something can actually help us in, in some circumstances. Well, a good example just happened, right? We once again see another example of 
racist police or whatever they're doing targeting these young black men and it's disgusting middle-aged black man disgusting it's disgusting and you know and it's 100 percent loathsome disgusting gross and is that i think is that the right reaction yes you know and i hope that that type of feeling and attitude towards it can hopefully result in some type of change you know and obviously that's a very very complex thing and goes back to the roots of our country and, and None of us are really probably qualified to really talk about it, but, you know... I wrote disgusting. a book about it once. <laughs> Peer reviewed. Pretty um, scholarly. Did you guys ever watch the Disney... I think it was a Disney movie called Inside Out. Yeah. Feelings. Did you watch it, Zach? Is that the Feelings one? Yeah. It's got Amy yeah, Poehler. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it boils down to five emotions. I don't in this. remember anything oh. about it. Disgust is one of the emotions. I think disgust is one. I, I pulled it up Isn't earlier. it the green, the green lady? Um, there's the green lady. There's anger, disgust, happiness, and sadness. Yeah, disgust is the green lady. So there's joy, who's Amy? Oh, joy. How do you say her name? Joy, fear, anger. Joy, fear. Fear is Bill Hader. Anger, Lewis Black. Disgust is Mindy. Kaling. Kaling. And sadness is Phyllis Smith. So those are the five basic emotions Mm -hmm. that, that... um, they, they put in research. They really did that. But check Pixar, this out. It got a ninety-eight percent on Rotten Tomato. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was a big film. It, it is a great. pretty good movie too. Uh, I think I it, really it. it does a good way of. It does a good job of boiling down emotions to these five basic emotions, mm-hmm. and in the movie, these five emotions are the driving force of the little girl, uh, and her name is Riley. So. They're helping Riley to do something right or to further herself, right? I think. Anyway, I thought it was really interesting that we have kids' movies that are talking about what we're talking about. Well, then we watch Michael Jordan documentary. And we see emotion being such a central driving force of the entire story, right? That his emotion... Whatever one we want to kind of identify being his driving emotion, just being so dominant, right? Yeah. And so strong and overriding that it affected every aspect of his life. It became just this infectious emotion that that targeted his teammates, that targeted his team, his city, his people around him who's selling his shoes everybody the entire league and really the entire world and it's just you start to see like the power of emotion the power of these driving forces in an individual and the mass effect that that can have he didn't really ever feel any passive feelings or emotions all of them were the most intense form of those emotions he was feeling ecstasy rage loathing grief terror like he was like the most intense of all of those uh, when he was feeling them yeah I mean, he was at 100% all the time, whether that's on the court, whether that's at the blackjack table. I mean, he is living up. And then you hear these stories about him in these rooms, you know, in parties and stuff like that, where he is just this magnetic personality who exudes this presence to the entire room. And people, without even seeing or knowing or hearing that Michael's in the room, done, MJ's here. You know, he just had this presence about him. Um... I think that's a curse and a blessing, maybe both, but sure. I think we're blessed to not live in such a rich tapestry of emotion all the time. You'd, you'd hope to have moments like that, 
But to be at that level all the time, I mean, that's why he retired three times. He got exhausted, exhausted. probably exhausted, faster than yeah. anybody ever could. Yeah. But I think it would be very hard to run that hot. And I think the most the most sought-after experience that you can have in life is one that's very dynamic. It's full of highs. It's full of lows. There's times it's boring. There's times it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But for him, it feels like it was just nonstop, just energy and passion and rage. Right. And he goes from you know training super hard, being super offended by something that may or may not have even happened. Right? Something he created something in, he his, creates mind. in <laughs> his mind or something that someone just kind of taps on or whatever and he takes it so personally and so so directly has like an attack towards him or challenging him in some way that it becomes such a driving motivation. What did you guys think about the documentary as a whole? I liked it. We talked about it. You guys have touched on it a couple times. Yeah. yeah, we talked about it earlier this week though, not on the podcast, and I had a hot take that the first half of the documentary was actually my favorite. Really. And I didn't enjoy the... I mean, I enjoyed the last episodes, but not as much as I enjoyed the first Why one. do you think that is? I thought it was really fun seeing Jordan in the beginning stages of his career. Mm-hmm. And like that 91, 92 Chicago era was really cool. And, and we didn't know that, right? I mean, that's something that I knew about historical perspective, but not... The first games I remember are like those 97... Series against the Jazz. That's what that was, those are my fir- my first basketball memories are those Pacers series and those Jazz series. I remember those. I remember watching those with my dad. So those early '90s Jordan, you know, we know that guy. You know, you just heard about that mm-hmm. guy. We didn't know about that. I guy. thought Dennis Rodman was a part of the Bulls dynasty the entire time. I I didn't understand the first three P at all. I just I was Jordan Pippen Rodman. They won a bunch of titles. I mean so that '92 that, team was probably the best. It might. I mean that '92 team was dynamite. And young Jordan, who was, can do anything. Young Pippen, Horace Grant, who I I think is better than, than Rodman. And I think that was a great team. Yeah, that was a great team. But I liked the seeing some of the the bad boys at Detroit. Yeah. And kind of how Chicago had to overcome that uh, that team. Isaiah's great in the dock. Yeah. He's great. I love him or hate him. He's great in yeah. the dock. I mean, he's, if you've watched the 30 for 30 about the bad boys of Detroit, it is a great documentary. Yeah. Got to dig into it. I Super fun that. to watch him and, and that team and kind of like the, I don't know, the emotion that they showed and the... They were like us in Provo <laughs> when we were on the scene. Absolutely. <laughs> We're just like Isaiah Thomas. We're the bad boy business, bro. <laughs> How about it? But that 10 to 15 year stretch of the NBA, starting in the mid-80s with the Celtics and the Lakers, Bird and, and Magic, going through the Jordan run, I mean, that's fantastic entertainment and really the peak of basketball. And then it got real bad. You know, it got real bad. We got these image Jordan wannabes coming in. You didn't like the Spurs titles? You didn't like the Spurs era? It just wasn't... Tim Duncan, Mr. Fundamental. You ever heard of Big Shot Bob? You ever heard of Bruce Bowen, (laughs) Brett Berry, 3 and D? Come on, Z. I did get in a a Twitter fight the other day with one of my buddies, who's a huge... I I hesitate to call him a Lakers fan, because he's really a Kobe fan, but I... He was saying something about Kobe on Twitter, and I said Duncan's better than Kobe, which I firmly believe. And then we got into this whole argument. But I just think that stretch of the NBA, well, yeah, there's amazing players like Kobe and, and Duncan, Iverson, whatever. But I think as a product, it was it was pretty weak, and it was not a compelling 
story, right? All these sports is stories. That's well, let me all ask sports this. Is. Can I ask you a yeah, question? Yeah, 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 yeah. Without Jordan yeah. and those Bulls teams, yeah. what does the 90s look like? Because Jordan walks away saying, I didn't have a rival up to my standard of competition, and it was getting boring for me. Yeah, but when he compares that team then to today's NBA, he was like, well, that today's NBA isn't what it was back then, right? Back then, the teams were way better. Which, well, not, that's... not even better, but way more physical. It was like... Certainly a different game. Different game. Completely different. I feel like he's not as great as Jordan is. He's not qualified to really make a comparison between today's NBA and, and his NBA because he's not playing today. But I think that he, when he says that he, that those teams back then didn't live up to his standard, he would say that today as well. Like I don't. I, I think it's just his cockiness where he says like. No, those guys weren't as good as me. They didn't live up to my standards. And they weren't as good. That, but, that's my takeaway. I mean, I knew this. It was reaffirmed by the documentary. He is so much better than anybody else. I think the gap between him and the second best player is huge. I really do believe that. And then the second, third, fourth waiver, I think you can argue those. I think there's a lot of kind of debate. But him to whoever is a huge drop-off. The other players and the teams during those late 80s and early 90s were awesome. I mean, Barkley and his teams were awesome. Those um, Rockets teams with um, Elijah Wan were awesome. I mean, obviously Detroit, we talked about them. The Knicks were really good. The Jazz came on later. They were really good teams. The Cleveland Cavaliers were great. They were really, really good teams. I mean, this was not a weak league. It was a very strong league. It just, he was that much better. But I feel like without Jordan, Mm -hmm. the 90s, wouldn't have been any better than the early 2000s. I disagree. Like, so I think that the early 2000s, the late 90s, early 2000s, were able to be as good as they may have been because of that Bulls team. It changed the NBA. It was like, it changed the way that basketball was being played and it made, it kind of allowed for some of these other stars to come come about. Like Kobe even mentioned. Well, there's it. no Kobe without right. MJ. I mean, right. he built his game around... MJ's game. And what would the 2000s be without Kobe? I wonder if history doesn't kind of put a gloss. I, I know MJ's great. The documentaries reaffirm that to me, too. <laughs> I can't help but think that his, like time, the passage of time, tends to put kind of a glossy finish on some of these characters in history. And right now we're looking at LeBron James, and he's not as good as he was two years ago. He's still great. And he's probably craftier than he's ever been. But in 10 years, we'll be those old guys saying that the new kids aren't LeBron James. And that might be true. That might be true. And that's certainly, I think that there's kind of a peak in our lives. For me, I think it's kind of like young teenage years when you go, those guys were the best, right? When you're like 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, and you look back, you go, man, like, those athletes or those musicians or those whoever, right? Those kind of icons, you like that, like, those guys were so awesome. They were the best. And then you get older and, and people kind of lose a little bit of their uniqueness. And I feel like we hold those people to kind of this, this echelon. I'm sorry. I don't know if I said that echelon. right. Echelon. That's maybe not indicative of their true standing. But because of when we experience them, that becomes such a dominant force for us and how we remember them so I agree I think there will be something these next players you know maybe Zion Williamson we look at him and go I mean he's no LeBron 
Yeah. You know, even though maybe he'll be better than LeBron. You know, who knows? Probably not. But who knows? Maybe he will be better than LeBron. But we will kind of say, well, you know, LeBron. And I remember then, 2016, LeBron versus the Warriors. You know, he should beat them by himself, you know. And, so and people argued the Warriors are the best team of all time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the, the great thing about the hypothetical debate is there can be no definitive right answer. Yeah. Besides That's why like, they will go on forever. There will never be an end to these debates. Yeah. Besides MJ number one, there's no <laughs> right You can never get these guys in their primes <laughs> to play ball. And if you could, as you guys have said, styles have changed so it's much. It's totally different. MJ so different. in today's game, maybe not quite as good as MJ in previous... I, I, so and then they say, well, if MJ hockey. played today, he would have spent all his time working on three-pointers. But then he just turns into a Steph Curry. Like, he wouldn't be MJ. He, you know what I'm saying? So, that, so I think what you're arguing, though, is that MJ is his skill set of what he can do on a basketball court. Well, he court. has what MJ. I say MJ is the greatest, not because of what he can necessarily do on a basketball court, but because of what he has inside of him that allowed him to do what he does on the basketball yeah. court. I just... I don't think there's been anybody who matches that. Let me that, ask you that this. combination of all those things. First of all, I agree. MJ's okay. the best ever. So, <laughs> debate settled. we all on the same page. What if the guy with the most heart who's ever played basketball... Because let's, let's be honest. We believe everyone has a different relative physical capacity. Sure. Not everyone can approximate what MJ did. They say he has the best body control of anyone who's maybe ever played basketball, right? Mm-hmm. So there could be somebody with just not as great of a gene set. But what if the player with actually the most heart and most tenacity and most passion for basketball was like Luke Ridenour <laughs> playing for the Sonics? Fourteen minutes a game. Fourteen minutes a game as point guard, and and he wasn't that great because he didn't have the the ceiling of MJ. But turns out that was the guy with the most heart that ever played the game. We we lose those guys though. That's my point. We lose those guys. Yeah. What, what do you got that? Del Vadova. Del Vadova. Most heart guy. Don't disagree with me. That's why I always say when announcers or whoever, you know, you're watching the game, say, you got to want it more. Whoever, the team that wants it more is going to win it. Or the team who, you know, really cares. It's like, what? like no, everybody cares. And maybe this person doesn't care as much, but they're just that talented. That they don't have to care as much. Will Chamberlain's probably the best example of that. He was so physically dominant when he played. His ability, his he was you know seven plus seven plus feet. His hands are amazing. Shoot, pass, he could do it all. Wasn't the league shorter then too? The league was definitely shorter as a whole. I mean, smaller, less physical. But here is somebody who. You know, he was more interested in setting the record for sleeping with more women than anybody else as much as he was. Wasn't there a 200-woman harem or something at one point? The dudes, the stories are epic. The stories <laughs> are A hundred points in a game followed by a hundred ladies in a night. Yeah, so I mean, I, he, yeah, he's got a, he's got a, a good history. To Him and Harden. For sure. Him and Harden. <laughs> Harden frequents the strip clubs from what I've heard. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, hey, you know, good for him, whatever. But, um, you know, but that's probably someone you look at and go, man, this person was so talented. If they had the drive of some of these players who weren't as talented but had to work their butt off to get to where they are, man, that'd be an incredible. That'd be the best ever, right? But Curse of the gifted. But curse of the gifted. But that's why you look at Jordan and go, he was that talented, yet he still had, had this drive. insane drive and work ethic. He's a remarkable specimen. Yeah. And I think he's a bit of a tortured soul. 
sure. because that drive comes from some place of discomfort. Um, think of like the definition of the word content. Content is a synonym of happiness or joy or peace. But to be content is not to be filled with drive and ambition. To be content is to be satisfied with where you're at. And somebody like Jordan has to put himself in a position. This is why he makes up stories about people who say good game that they never did. He puts himself in positions where he'll never achieve contentment. Ever. Like that's... I think the price of being that good is high. But I respect it. So a question. Do you think, from watching that documentary, what you know about Michael Jordan, do you think he was happy? I'm sure he had moments. I think he had moments of happiness. You can see that he doesn't allow himself to be happy until he's got the trophy in his hands. And at that point, he's overcome with happiness and, you know, tears the whole bit where you haven't seen him show any emotion besides rage Mm -hmm. for the entire season. And then all of a sudden, he's able to allow himself to feel happy. And then I think probably a week later, he's like, back at it, you know, let the rage rage on, and yeah. then, you know, he fights for that next title. I think this is an interesting phenomenon that I've experienced, and I look at, I watch these documentaries about people like this, and I go, hmm, I wonder if this is kind of the same thing. You work so hard for something, and I, like in my career in school and stuff, sometimes you work so hard for this end goal, right? I've got this goal, I want to reach this goal, and you work hard, you work years and years and years and years worse toward this goal, and then you get the goal, and you're happy. But you're almost more relieved. It's mm-hmm. almost more of a relief that oh, finally, like yes, I finally got it. Like, and it's not so much a ecstasy or happy. I mean, there's certainly as aspects of that. This goes back to the emotion, the complexity of emotion, and how it's not just a single thing. But so much of it, I felt was relief. You know, you want to watch these guys. They celebrate, and you go, I wonder if so much of what they're feeling, or a large part of what they're feeling, is relief or kind of finally, or what, you know, as opposed to just ecstasy. Now, maybe this is ecstasy. Maybe this is pure happiness, and in that moment, Especially when they're doing ecstasy. Especially. Then it's probably actually ecstasy. (laughs) MJ never did, though, right? His whole team. Clean the league up. As soon as he got there, sweep him up. But you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you you guys ever experienced that, where you feel like you work so hard, and you get it, and you go, shouldn't I be ecstatic? Like, shouldn't I be bouncing up and down? Why am I just kind of like... Finally, good. I think a lot yeah. of times, from for me anyway, when I've achieved those things that have been so hard for me to 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 finally achieve, it's almost a point of like I'm exhausted, and that was a great experience and all, but I'm ready to like take a break from that. You know, like it's it, it's kind of a like you said, a relief to be done. Like when you finish a marathon, what is your feeling? Yeah, I'm like glad to be back in my car and sit down for a minute. I don't know if that's a good example because such a physically demanding task right that your body is exhausted by the end of that run but i think the time when i the first time i ever finished a marathon i think i was definitely happy like i got to my car and i drove home and i was like wow i did something good but i don't know if ecstasy is i don't know if ecstasy comes from those maybe it does when you win a national championship a world championship uh, you feel ecstasy for a moment. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's like, I did a good thing, and I'm really proud of myself. So, yeah. yeah, I think happiness can a lot of times get used as just a blanket term to embody any sort of positive emotion that we're feeling. When 
for that example, there might be more precise ways of defining the way you felt. Like you said, proud of yourself, satisfied, maybe relief. Maybe that could be a piece of it. And maybe some of those feelings are circumscribed into what we define as happiness. But it's so hard to define. I think it's even worth questioning if sometimes we want to be happy. If you've made a terrible life decision and it's resulted in some really bad things happening to you, do you want to be happy in that moment or do you want to be fueled by more motivating emotions, you know? Like sometimes I think we just, we want to be happy all the time. But like I said earlier, I think these dynamic life experiences are more valuable. And like, I, I think that it's hard for us to actually feel happy and a long term happiness because we don't want to feel complacent. We don't want to like feel happy and then just sit on that and we're good with where we're at. Right. I think it's like a hum- inhuman nature to try and further ourselves, try and achieve more, get more. Uh, I think as a whole, we can't even help ourselves when it comes to that. Yeah. And Progress, for- like propelling ourselves forward. Like look at civilizations today versus 100 years ago versus 1,000. I don't even think that that force or energy could be stopped. I think it's instinctual instinctive so what is the happiness then right so is the happiness this push this process or is it achieving the goal i think happiness probably is best experienced throughout a process Mm -hmm. but i think that probably comes in varying degrees depending on how you define it i think there's only been a few moments in my life where i've been like ecstatic or had that long-term happiness and I'm sure Carter has felt even more you know you have a kid that you like I'm sure your first time holding your daughter was like uh, the most happy you've ever felt probably Uh, I'm assuming that but I think that there are moments like that where you actually do feel very happy and it's a long-term happiness whereas like you know finishing a marathon is like that that was cool Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I mean you're probably getting ready to experience one of the happiest moments of your life with your marriage, which is uh, super exciting and like, just got to soak it in. Yeah. Soak in those good feels. I remember my last football game in high school. I'll add to you guys' it's like high school sports stories that yeah. you guys like to talk about. But <laughs> we won the state championship and the first feeling I thought was, honestly, sadness. Because I, it was, I was sad that it was over. It was done. Like, I love those guys. Like, I love playing football with that team so much. I love pro- going to practice, all these things. And it was just done. Like, there was no more, I was never going to put on a football helmet ever again, you know? And I was, you know, I, and I kind of felt that same way as, like, like, transitioned a little bit in my life of both excitement for the future and totally happy with my direction, but at the same time, like, sad that things are over, even though the end result was really good. Like, the end result was the goal. Like the goal of the football season is to win the last game. Like most people don't get to win their last game. We got to win our last game. But yeah, I was still kind of like sad, you know, because it was over. Do you know what you need to do, dude? What's up? Turn that frown (laughs) upside down. That's all you got to (laughs) do. No, my question would be in all seriousness. It sounds like maybe you were experiencing the happiness throughout the process in that scenario. And then at the end you realized and maybe only retrospectively that the happiness was throughout that whole process. process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is life. I was just talking to Mackenzie about this the other day because we've moved several times since we've been married. We moved from 440 to our first apartment. We moved from that apartment to a little downstairs basement 
We moved from that basement to where we live now. We're about to buy a house. And I said, isn't it amazing that each step in that process that we took, we felt like was the most amazing step ever. And now looking back at those steps, I look at our first apartment. It was tiny. We couldn't even have guests over. Mm. I look at our second place. It was really old and gross and there was cockroaches. I look at our place now and I love it, but we're still renting and it's still really small. And I said, and the funny thing is we're about to buy this house and be so excited and happy. But in 10 years, when we make that next step, we'll look back and say, I can't believe we were so excited and happy about that previous step. Mm -hmm. But I think achieving that is actually the goal. Like you just want to be as happy as you can possibly be with whatever step is the step you're currently taking, knowing that at some point you'll outgrow that step. You'll, you'll not look back and think with the same feelings that you had at the time, but that's progress, you know? Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us this week. We're happy oh. and excited for you and Mary. I have mixed emotions. Zach. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Carter's not sure how we feel. A little feeling. bit of boredom. Not going to lie. <laughs> well, we can't wait to uh, bring Mary into the family. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a family for sure. And we'll, we'll have to have you on again. Hey, maybe, happy to come on. Maybe we'll do it the night of your wedding. Sure. Oh, baby. <laughs> Sure, I'll be I'm sure Mary totally would totally available. be cool with that. Maybe right after available. consummation, <laughs> we get a quick recap. <laughs> Just shoot us a text when you're done doing your thing, and then we'll all meet up. Yeah, we'll meet up. Uh, sure it'll be. Or we can just like, come out to Philly for a weekend or something. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. Glad and uh, just remember, everybody, slurp, slurp it up. up. <laughs> <laughs>